Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining into Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. We are right here in Kona, Hawaii, and there's a lot of people leaving on mission trips yesterday. Today, we just had some, I don't know what you call it, victory laps around the Plaza of Nations here. I don't know what they call it. As they're jumping into the the vans in order to go to the airport, so lots of excitement here. But guys, I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Josh Bischoff. He jumped in as staff at the School of Digital Filmmaking that I was a student at. He's also a filmmaker. He's got some projects under his wing and other future projects. He's been part of the School of Digital Film off and on for a while. Mm -hmm. But I'd love for you, Josh, to... I'll wait for that guy to drive off. Josh, I'd love to hear your story. Uh, Introduce yourself to our audience and let us know what, you know, how you got into this world of making movies yeah um uh, it's kind of complicated it's not always that easy or straightforward but i think like the first time i thought about making movies was when my dad showed me star wars mm-hmm. the first time he calls that the biggest mistake of his life because like it kind of like set me on this course of like hey man i'm really in love with this with this art form and back in the day it was mostly about hey i can create these worlds and just escape into them and uh fall in love with them like make the impossible possible all of a sudden within a story like that because like everything we see when we watch movies most of the time it's like we everything we like connect with the movie is like an actor's face for a long time i thought i want to act so i went to acting school as a kid then i think when i was like 14 that's when i realized they in my mind though i mean i'm in the movie but i'm i'm the one making the movie like i'm telling the story in the way that i think the story should be told and that's when that shift happens I was like I think I'm a director and not an actor mm. and pretty fast from that point on I stopped being in front of the camera or stopped acting on stage and realized I've much more fun actually directing the film making the film writing the film seeing projects go up the creativity when I realized that I'm more the, the storyteller rather than the, the one that is performing the story that is being told. So my passion is a lot more in coming up with these complex structures that are involved with telling a story. Uh, I actually enjoy quite a bit of the hardships of making a story, creating a story. And the, how do you say, like, the, the, it's always different. Like, every time you do a new project, it's, it's never the same thing. There is a craft part to telling stories that is the same that's the stuff that you learn like in the school here mm-hmm. um, but that's very basic but like in a in a really grand and major sense looking at it it's every time you're telling a new story it's a different story it's a different way of approaching a story and it's um, for me at least it's very personal all the time so it's a lot of introspective looking into yourself understanding yourself better mm-hmm. um, so how do you develop a story? What What is the process for you? I mean, because uh, I know everybody who's creative, I guess, and especially in the realm of movies. I mean, you've made a documentary. You've got a feature length, got other projects. How does the story develop? How does that process begin with you? I, I think it's different for the most part. 
there's similarities with the documentary it was very different with fictional pieces it's it's these weird moments that catch me off guard uh, throughout the day it's like I'm a very visual person I think very visually I they're inspired by visual things, like when I see the light of sunset hit in a certain way. That's things that call emotions up in me. Mm -hmm. But for fictional pieces, most of the time I see either a scene with characters I don't have name yet for. Mm -hmm. I don't know those characters yet. But see a scene that uh, brings up a certain kind of feel and emotion. And a kind of like passion too. Like I, I can't let it go. I have to mm -hmm. keep thinking about it. And I'm not sure if that's like the subconscious or my subconscious like trying to, the, the way it communicates with me saying, hey, there's something you're struggling with. You should start looking into this. Mm -hmm. You should try to understand. And that that's why for me, filmmaking or storytelling in general, and in, in my kind of sense, most of the time is asking questions rather than presenting answers mm. uh, sometimes it's answer presenting but in the major part it's like trying to realize that I feel like there is a question I, I, I'm looking I'm seeking an answer for and the difficult part is actually finding the question making the question specific enough that you have the ability to start looking for the answer mm. that is the more abstract version of what I do that is the smallest part though of trying to make a story like the fastest part, I mean, the part that is the craft is then giving a name to characters and making them be beings that mm -hmm. exist in our life, creating a world around them. I mean, you, you've seen the Half-Life Pilgrim and saw that it's kind of different than <laughs> probably most movies are, but it's kind of like that. It was this image of like, there was quite a bit of bitterness in me when mm -hmm. I started writing that movie and, and frustration. And uh, I try to communicate that state of emotion at that point, like through many aspects of trying to have the story play out in a world where compassion, mercy almost doesn't exist, or which at least feels like it doesn't exist. It's very isolated. You're very alone. There's very few characters within this big grand city that for the most part is empty and desolate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the documentary, it was more like a heart thing where it's like a... I I don't know. My my heart hurts when when I see people suffering and uh, growing up in missions. Uh, I think that's something that's been given to me as a young kid already to actually care and try to understand. I I think it's very, I think we're very insignificant when it comes to actually solving those crises and issues. But I think we can all try to understand these people better that live in very different realities than we exist in and with like Hong Kong it was a very clear thing throughout the summer where I was like I really love that city I've been many times to Hong Kong and seeing it in flames like that it really I longed for trying to be there and witness what was going on witness the atmosphere witness the the people groups and their motivations why would they well can you describe for our audience maybe some people aren't aware oh, okay you yeah were, sure you embedded in Hong Kong during a time of upheaval right? yeah so can you uh, when was that and what was that it? was in 2019 right before covid hit there in october and november and there was this large protest movement that started out of a political uprising where uh, the Hong Kong government wanted to implement a extradition law to extradite political criminals there was like a crime happened in taiwan uh, i think a, a hong kong husband killed his wife in Taiwan, he couldn't be extradited and tried for 
the crime that he committed. But the fear of the people was that uh, this law would allow China basically to say, hey, you committed a crime that there would be a crime in China, which not really would be a crime in Hong Kong. There's different, it's a complicated political situation right. since it's like a special zone. It is part of China politically, but it has its own governing body that is overseen by the Chinese Communist Party. So this uprising started trying to stop that uh, extradition law from actually being implemented so people could enjoy their freedoms more and I think there's a lot of there was a lot of fear involved from the Chinese government like people are just scared of mm -hmm. them they're worried about what their future would look like and I think that was more like a like a spark that like lit this tinderbox alight that was like full of these frustrations and worries and anxieties about the future and uh, especially like the identity of Hong Kong people, I don't think they they really have found their place yet since they are the first colony and now they're the special zone, but they're never their own thing, but they mm. see themselves as their own thing kind of. So what I, I was working in Switzerland, I'm one of those directors that doesn't really make a lot of money with directing, so like I have to work. So I was working in Switzerland and while I was working in Switzerland, that stuff was happening, it was like, hey, I feel like I should be going, I yeah. should document this and film this, um, but I need money. So I was like, okay, I'm going to work for the time that I committed to work here. And if it's still happening, I'm going now. Pretty much buy a plane ticket and fly over there, grab my gear. And I flew to Hong Kong in a time where uh, the protest kind of like reached its peak and uh, protesters started fortifying places rather than protesting in the street. They fortified universities. So the documentary I shot is mainly reflecting a short period, not the entire movement. Uh, it's just a, about a short period of escalation where it happened. It tries to give people a better understanding how it feels when something like that becomes a reality, uh, uprising, mm -hmm. uh, turmoil, uh, when there's real anger and frustration, when, when political parties become more radicalized on both sides. Uh, what that means for the normal working person. And uh, something I realized while shooting a documentary is that it's very difficult to untangle chaos while you're in the middle of it, especially something of that scale. It's not like that there's one battle and you're with the battle group and moving with them and it's always happening to them or because of actions that they took. It's more so happening all over the city. So it's like this needs time to actually be untangled. So. Uh, Pretty early on, I decided we're going to shoot a documentary without interviews and without narration. And we're going to shoot it in a way where people can experience mm. how it felt like walking the streets. So, like, there's subtitles that would translate when protesters are talking, what the police is yelling, uh, yeah. when, when they're preparing for another attack or for another defense, defensive push. Um, mm. I've, I've tried to stay quite neutral and uh, try to take a very observational right. perspective with it. Um, to not take uh, at least obvious sides, I think. Uh, I think we're all not 100% neutral and it's difficult. Those are people going on mission trips right now. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with that, um, yeah. Also, <laughs> what I was talking about. But um, yeah, that's why I decided to try to keep my personal voice out for as much as possible and give the audience uh, an experience at least how I experienced it, like the atmosphere, the way 
it felt like being there for these two months, almost two months, and uh, being tear gassed almost every day. Yeah. So years ago in 19, it was the year 2000, mm -hmm. there was uh, these anarchists, like 400 anarchists that came to the Eugene, Oregon area where I was at at the time. I grew up in that area. Uh, it was actually the year after YWAM. I was in YWAM for a year. And then the year 2000, the, these anarchists came and they wanted to reenact the previous year's Father's Day riot. Mm -hmm. So they were doing these underground uh, concerts, you know, they were roving. Anarchists still have a system of communication. They still have a hierarchy, but they don't want to admit that. They, these anarchists eventually became modern-day Antifa. So mm. this is before Antifa. So we were Christians reaching out to them and everything. But um, the night of the reenactment, the police came, riot gear, you name it. I, I had water just in case. I was getting ready to just help you know, people out if they're getting tear gassed or whatever. No tear gas happened. Oh, wow. But we had pellets, you know, like they shot mm. pellet bags and stuff like that. And for me, as the, as the police were rounding people up, hundreds of them, um, you know, they could tell that I, I didn't belong with them. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, you know, like, you could you could see who belongs and who didn't. Mm -hmm. And the anarchists loved us and the police loved us. They knew that we're feeding these people and we're reaching out to them and telling them the love of Jesus, right? But that's the closest experience at that time to, for me, of chaos. Mm. And then later, combat, you know. It's so, probably a much more extreme like, version of that. Way yeah. more extreme. Yeah, yeah. But what is it like being a filmmaker... Because your your movie is on Vimeo and it pretty much went viral. Am I right? Like, kind of, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hundreds fine. of thousands of views. Yeah. Being a filmmaker, you're capturing moments, mm -hmm. right? Like, what for you is? How do you make those decisions? Like this, this moment is going to be captured, or this is going to be in, in in the film. You know, like, and even your your feature length. Half Half Light Pilgrim, beautiful shots, beautiful Thank shots. You. So, what is that process for you? Yeah, with the documentary, it's a very different process mm -hmm. because you you're constantly like it's real time. So like you, it's not like you're preparing for like I'm setting up a certain shot. Not really. It's some sometimes you have the luxury to do that. You see like okay, they're regrouping that way. So you take cinem cinematic decisions. What's like okay, we want to capture the oncoming force and the defensive force at the same time one shot so you move to a position like that but most of the time with documentary it's about just getting the moment it's mm -hmm. not necessarily that it's uh, shot and being perfectly. part of yeah. the moment being in it feeling the moment yeah you can't ignore that i found it interesting while being there that's something you never really see in the news necessarily Moments of chaos, how many journalists are actually present? There's a ton. Like, there was these weird moments where, like, the police and the protesters would clash. And then they would, like, separate again. And in that moment of separation, there's, like, all these yellow jacket journalists, like, just jumping in between and taking pictures. But they were never really in the shot. So, for me, it was kind of important. They're part of the moment, too. So, like, capturing them, too. So, I wasn't just trying to get shots without them. I was trying to show they're a part of that entire thing, too. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just uh, the, the clash between two forces. So, there were a ton of those people. With the fictional pieces, it's very intentional. It's very 
it's it's a long process I go through. I'm I'm very direct with my cinematographer, so my shots are my shots. The, the movements are the movements that I say that we I want the movements to be like this because I want them to communicate certain things. And as a director of a feature, of a fictional feature, you your main job is actually making sure that like the camera is just focusing on camera, the sound is just focusing on sound, the actors are just focus, focusing on their acting. But you're the one that actually has the vision to, with the movement that the camera makes, with the sound design that we're going to implement and post, with the movement that the actors do, with their motions that they're about to portray, only if those things are combined, they actually work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is the director's job, like, like we call it blocking, uh, the term you probably heard a ton of times now yes. in film school. So it's like the blocking is like the directing the movement of certain things. It's it's basically management. I I manage that the camera guys know what to do, that the sound guys know what to do, that the actors know what to do, so that in the end when it comes together, it harmonizes mm -hmm. and creates a, a piece together, and not just one that isn't that has strength on one side, but like it communicates on all these levels. So I communicate with the way that I frame the shot, the, the way I move the camera or the way I do not move the camera, those are all things that can communicate. The sound that will come right. from the scene will be realistic, will it be more subversive, will it be more uh, oppressing, will it be loud, will it be quiet. The, the acting will be over the top, will it be normal, will it be highly emotional. Uh, and those things need to be balanced and, and like prevised in your mind and then kind of directed onto the screen. And adjusted on set, right. it never works out the way, a hundred percent, right? Most of the time, but it tells a story. Yeah, it conveys a story, and then it, you know, you just kind of watch it, hmm. you know, see the impact of it, see the impact of it. So, Josh here jumped in, I think halfway into the school. A he little was, later, yeah. Uh, so he jumped in. He was staffed before at the School of Digital Filmmaking for a year or two. Two, yeah, and and. Uh, he came here to help some of the staff, I guess, shoot movies, and you'll be shooting another movie here real soon. A short, yeah. Uh, I was, this is more like a thing, like if I'm here, there's no good reason to not shoot a movie. Yeah, and so, have fun. Yeah, um, yeah. I learned a lot from Josh, uh, especially when I was editing my short film, uh, my school project, if you will, a student project, Buddy Check. There's staff helping, right, helping us kind of make these decisions. But Josh, I appreciated him. He's also military, prior military, Swiss Army, yeah. right? And so I, I appreciated him being blunt and direct with me. Okay, like, <laughs> Jared, here's what you need to cut. And I was like, <laughs> you know, roger that, right? I, and I, honestly, it was confirming what I was thinking, too, you know? So I, I learned a lot from him. He was direct, helping me out. And uh, it was also fun just getting to know him. So, Josh, uh, what's, what's your next adventure? What's the next steps for you? Well, I'd like to, I think the next big level is to make this a bit more viable, I guess. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But the, the, until now, I, I saw myself in being like a pioneer. Such as it's, an, it's a craft, but it's also an art form. So and I, I for myself, make a difference between the film worker and the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And uh, not saying that either one is better, but they have very different responsibilities and jobs for the film worker. It is a job. They love film, they love being part of film, but they choose a certain aspect of film and they get good at it and they just work for people making films and they can have really good living. It's like, for me, it's comparable like shift work, like nine to five, but like shift work because film happens at night, day, whenever right. the scene is being needed. 
I always saw myself more as a filmmaker, mm. the guy who actually pioneers these projects. And that is a bit more tricky when it comes to financial side, like uh, being paid for it. It takes a long time for yourself to prove yourself worthy and capable for investors to put money into you and believe that your projects are actually worth investing into. So for a long time, I was like, okay, I'm going to work for four months a year in Switzerland. Now also work with the military for the next six years, uh, three weeks every year to make money, to give myself the freedom to make movies without having be or without needing to be paid for them mm. necessarily. So I could do the projects that I wanted to do without having to constantly rely on them actually paying. But with that proof, hey, I'm actually, I'm able to do this. Uh, I, I can do this. I can, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I'm meant to do this. So now with the documentary was always meant to be for free online. It was the, on the distribution side, we were thinking, hey, I want to try to get it to people first. Could we do this ourselves? Do we need the middleman? Mm. And it's quite tricky actually getting people or convincing them, hey, watch this documentary from a no-name guy and sacrifice 90 minutes, which is, in today's time, that's a lot of time. Like, people don't have that much attention anymore. So you convince them, basically, on your free evening tonight, before you go to work again tomorrow, do not watch Netflix. Download this Vimeo app and watch Burn With Us. Like, um, uh, and, and it worked in certain areas. In other areas, we, we saw it's quite a bit more difficult uh, do so now with fictional feature we're actually trying to go the route of festivals trying to find a distributor trying to sell it and I like my hope is that it's more like a jumping board I am not necessarily hoping to make crazy amounts of money with it I will not say no right. <laughs> uh, to making some money off it but like my vision for it is more that will enable me to do the next one and then the next one to make uh, the struggle of making the film itself L less, a little less. I don't think it will always be little. I think that's the the area of work that we chose is pretty difficult. It's your very little security in job security because mm -hmm. like you're your own boss for the most time, and then you have to sell a product, and then once it's sold, it's sold, and you have to do the next one pretty right. fast. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So there's there's a few movies, there's a few documentaries that I'd like to do. Uh, that I'm trying to line up for the next couple of years. Uh, the next big project is actually making another feature film uh, by the latest in 2023, starting to shoot then. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Josh, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you and see kind of um, your resume, I guess? Well, you can get a hold of me on Instagram. They find me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Jay Bischoff. Um, uh, you probably find how do you spell Bischoff? Just for the oh yeah, it's like yeah. the the European German way. Uh, it's a B I S C H O F, and uh, uh, the other way that's probably easier for you guys to find is cockroachstudios.org. That's my production company with a friend of mine under which we produce the documentary and the feature film. And there's a contact section, and those awesome. emails will reach me. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, burn with us, guys. I loved it. I was I was pulled into his documentary about Hong Kong. I'm actually going to drop that into the podcast notes, though actually the podcast description, that Vimeo uh, link for Burn With Us so that you guys can watch that and reach out to Josh, my friend. And thank you so much for being part of Adventures in the Spirit. And thank don't you. forget to subscribe and share this podcast. 
Thank you so much for listening to our conversation and adventures in the spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own adventures in the spirit.